Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing. And answering questions that you might have through, a lot of times people email us questions. Or go to paulwinkler.com forward slash question is a second way of doing that. paulwinkler.com forward slash question. And sometimes people ask us questions uh, based on some of the workshops that we do from time to time. If you want to check out some of the workshop and the material on the website, there's a ton of it out there. paulwinkler.com. And we have video and, and uh, webinars on social security, on Medicare, on investing, on you know just all kinds of different things. And it's going to be getting even more so in the future. We're going to be even doing more of that in the future. So check that out. Uh, so one question that I had here, somebody asked me this question. They just sent me this and, and it was on the uh, why sitting on cash is hurting many investors was the topic. And we were talking a little bit about cash in a portfolio. You have different asset categories. You have stocks of different types, large companies, small companies, and you got value companies and growth companies and U.S. companies and international and, and emerging markets. And then you have different types of bonds in a portfolio. And I've talked a little bit about that over time. Uh, but somebody was asking a question and making a statement actually regarding just disagreeing with me. And, you know, it's fine. I'm good. I'm a big boy. D disagree with me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the reality is that I'm going to use research and data and uh, I'm going to walk through the thought processes because he, here's what it gets down to. When when we look at investing and we look at the returns that investors have gotten historically, we talk about the Dalbar research. So there's Morningstar's research on, on investor returns. There's a lot of research out there. Uh, there are behavior, behavioral uh, scientists that actually look at investor returns and talk about it. Terrence O'Dean uh, from Berkeley is one of the big ones. Uh, and there you have a lot of these people that are doing this work in this particular area on behavioral research are looking at it going, how can we get investors to be more successful? We've got to help them deal with their cognitive biases. If we can help them deal with their cognitive biases, then maybe we've got a fighting chance to make them better investors. But cognitive biases, they're, they're bears. They're hard. Uh, because every ounce of our being wants to protect ourselves from risk. Uh, we want to protect ourselves from things that we see as, you know, scary, the boogeyman. It's kind of like the, you know, uh, a lot of times what happens, it's it's kind of like a kid in a ghost costume and he's got this, you know, sheet over his head and he comes popping out and he goes, boom, and we go, ah, and then, you know, then when we finally investigate it and look into it a little bit, we find, oh, it's a little kid in a sheet. It's not that big of a deal. 
But, you know, a lot of times what happens with investing is we, we can look at the sheet and, and we go, oh, that thing is scary. And, and, and what we do is we jump, but we don't know how to take the sheet off to see what's really going on. And that's why information is so important. That's why it is so important to understand and be educated about investing because it is really easy to be pulled off track and thrown uh, into a tizzy and make a big mistake with our investment portfolios. And this person was disagreeing with something that I said about why cash is hurting many investors and said doesn't uh, agree with my, my idea of sitting on cash. And he's talking about his wife's 401k having a return of only 2% over the past year. Now, if that was the return over eight years, uh, that's what he said here, that that's a pretty bad return if it's actually eight years. Now, if you, if you look at a, a few year period, especially with 2022 being such a tough year in the stock market, yeah, you could probably find shorter periods of time where the return was maybe 2% or even lower. Uh, depending on the period of time you're looking at. So no question about it. Now, if you look at the past eight years, if you had a just a well-diversified stock portfolio, I just look at you know my own stuff and, and you know what part, uh, what the returns were in stocks over that period of time, well, you had a rate of return of a growth rate of about 100%, uh, 99 point something percent is what I was looking at for U.S. section of a portfolio, uh, well over a 50% return in international. International didn't do as well, but if you look at the preceding period in time, international did way better than U.S., and that's why we own them both, U.S. and international. Now, is that lower than historic norms? Yeah, if you annualize that, you're looking at about a 9% return in, in a U.S. section of a portfolio. Now, some areas were higher than that in U.S., like S&P 500 had a higher return. Some areas were lower, smaller companies, but historically smaller companies do better. But there are times when large does do better than small. And that's why we own them both. That's why we diversify in all those different, you, you just can't predict it. You don't know what's going to happen next. But you look at that return and go, wow, you know, that wasn't 2%, uh, number one for eight years. Uh, but uh, so I don't know what the time period is. I, I don't know what the situation is for the particular, this particular person. But I want to just concentrate on the concept here. You know, I'm seriously thinking about taking my portfolio out and putting it in CDs since I'm 75 years old. Okay, so number one, if we look at this eight-year period, that's what I just did is I ran some statistics and, and I used uh, different asset categories. I used large value companies. I used small and growth, and, and I was just breaking up it over that period of time. But I, want, I just want to focus on treasury bills because that would be a close proxy to like CDs or something fixed or something that's guaranteed, something that I know will not... Uh, drop down in value from a nominal standpoint. Now that now that nominal means let's forget about inflation and act like there's no such thing as inflation. From a nominal standpoint, we don't have a negative rate of return. You know, going back through history. But what was the rate of return over eight years for that? And the answer is that the rate of return was about 1.2 percent from September of 2015 through where we have data in the software that I use through the end of July of 2023. So it's 1.2%. So I'm going to move everything over to something that over the last eight years had that rate of return. When, as I said, if you were well diversified in US, it was, you know, 100% return approximately, right? That doesn't make any sense. But, you know, remember, investing and humans don't 
use sense. It's, we make decisions. Remember, I was actually watching, uh, there was a listening to a podcast this week about that. And this guy was talking about dealing with anxiety in general. Had a great thing on anxiety. Matter of fact, I, I probably need to talk about it a little bit in, in, in just a bit. But he was just talking about how you know we try to deal with anxiety using the cognitive part of our brain. You know, we try to outthink of it. And he says, period, end of sentence. You will not outthink anxiety. You won't think your way out of it. He said, because it comes comes at you at an emotional just this visceral level and that is that your emotions and your instincts were designed to keep you alive they were not designed to think and so what happens we react to things we're reacting at that particular level and it is thinking has nothing to do with it and he's absolutely right we're I mean, the parts of our brain that deal with emotions the medial part of our brain that deals with emotions uh, it, it has a connection to the front part of our brain, but it's tenuous many times, uh, you know, especially when you're younger. Uh, now, now this is an older person, but you know, when you're younger, it's really tenuous. Matter of fact, guys don't have fully developed brains until they're 27 and girls till they're 25. And it's a challenge, you know, any of you that have had kids, you know that that's a challenging age because they're not thinking. What are you thinking? I wasn't thinking, <laughs> you know, it's the, their answer. Um, so if you look at this and you say, wow, okay, so I'm going to move things from, uh, from this one asset category to this cash because now that cash thing is, or that CD is paying a higher interest rate. You've got to ask yourself this question, why? is the CD paying a higher interest rate now than what it did over the past eight years? And the answer is inflation. There is a very, very high correlation between interest rates and inflation. And incidentally, what is the reason why we invest in the stock market? Why do we invest in the stock market? I hope you are screaming at your radio, Paul, it's inflation. Because if we look at fixed income investments throughout history, we see no return after inflation. Matter of fact, I was talking to somebody, we were talking about gold this week, and, and I made that comment. I said, what's the rate of return? Well, you could buy a good men's suit for an ounce of gold 100 years ago. What can you buy today? A good men's suit for an ounce of gold. What's the rate of return been after inflation? Nothing. Okay, but the standard deviation of the amount of volatility is huge in gold. So just perish that if you're even thinking that that's your, that's your solution for inflation protection is gold. No, it's not. But stocks have always been that because what inflation is, of course, is prices going up and we own the companies that are raising prices and that gives us protection because their land values, their, their property, their assets, their inventories go up in value. You know, if I have inventories for a company, and that's part of the valuation of my company, I have inventories. Whatever it is I sell, I have some of that ready to be sold, my inventory. And all of a sudden you have inflation. It means I'm going to raise the price for that thing if somebody wants to buy it from me. So hence what happens by definition, if that's part of the value of my company and the price is going to go up on it, what's it do? to the value of the company. Eventually it ends up in that, higher valuations. And so hence we look back at history at the highest returning periods 
when we look at stocks, it's always been through inflationary periods. Now, you can have a dip down just before an inflationary period. Could be what happened 2022. You think about it, why'd the market go down 2022? And not just large stocks, but small and, you know, different, differing amounts, differing areas went down in different amounts, but they went down. Why? Maybe in anticipation of that. And because inflation could be a negative in the short run because nobody wants to raise their prices first. So hence the reason they don't want to is because they could lose market share. So, you know, if we look at this and we say, well, you know, but I'm 75, let's bring us back to that. Now I did a whole workshop on this. And the whole workshop was on the idea is I'm too old for this. That was the title of it, because this is commonly what people do is as they get older, they go, oh, I don't, don't want to lose this. And, and you go, well, what's your fear? The market will go down and never come back. And the way I answered that, of course, so if the market goes down and never comes back, that means earnings went away and they never came back, which means if the earnings have gone away, then that means taxes have gone away. If taxes have gone away, that means the government has gone away and your FDIC insurance isn't worth anything. <laughs> so let's just put that one to bed. But the other thing is, is this, I'm worried about it going down. Well, if I'm 70, I'm worried about it going down. I'm worried about running out of money. Well, if it goes down, if we look back through market downturns, how long do they last? You know, you look at 111 days as the average downturn before it comes back, but you know, maybe a little bit longer than that, maybe a year, maybe two years. But if it's if it takes longer than that, or if it takes you know that amount of time, let's say you know one to two years or something like that, and you don't have that much time, then let's face it, the money isn't for you anyway. It's for the next generation, and is a portfolio of a bunch of CDs an appropriate asset mix for maybe, uh, let's say. Um, 40 and 50 year old people that are going to inherit the money from you to inherit. Does it make sense for them to have a CD portfolio? No. So if we look at that, we say, well, if you don't have that long of a period of time that you're going to be on the planet, then the money isn't for you. And the reality of it is, I don't know what the asset mix is, but you know, for this particular person, but probably a significant amount of bonds and fixed income investments. You know, we already have a significant exposure to fixed income, most likely at that particular age. So therefore, that money is just fine taking care of you forever, however long you have, if it's not that long. But if it is a longer period of time, you know, then you've got a problem on your hands because if you don't have any stocks or any equities in your portfolio, you're really putting yourself at huge risk for inflation. And then you might ask a person such as this, go, well, what's your biggest concern? I mean, what are you really, really worried about? And quite often they'll go, I mean, look at, look, look at the administration, look at the government, look at, you know, what's going on in Washington, D.C. And, you know, they'll, they'll go on, let them rip, let them go on. I like to, I like to hear what they're worried about. What is your, just your biggest, hairiest fear? <laughs> and, and it's normally that, right? I don't I'm just... Oh, so you're really concerned about the government and now you want to put all your money in an investment that is backed and you're basically have it's backed by and the investments, which are dollars, right, are printed by who? The government. So aren't you going and concentrating all your assets with an entity that you just basically just told me they don't, you don't trust? So remember, this is none of this is ever rational. It's never rational, you know, these fears that people have. 
you know, if, if, if we're dealing with our rational mind, we wouldn't be having these types of conversations because we know intuitively that diversification is about as the best thing that we got, you know, getting us to safety that there is. There is no such thing as safety in the world. And recognize also the other thing that we want to recognize is that maybe you have been an investor. Maybe you've been an investor that has spent your entire life, you know, in your investing experience, maybe engaging and trying to pick which stocks are going to do better than others, what areas of the market I ought to be in, what areas of the market I ought to stay away from. Uh, maybe you're an investor that has, you know, tried to move out when you thought things were a bit scary, move out of stocks, move back into them when you thought things were going to be really good. In other words, market timing. Or maybe you've been engaging in tactical asset allocation, moving between small companies and large companies and value companies and growth companies in U.S. and international versus what you thought was going to happen or what somebody else thought was going to happen. Maybe that's the legacy that you've had thus far. And what we know is that our kids pick up on what we do and they tend to repeat what they what we do. We know now because of, you know, the the research on the scientific research that we have mirror neurons and we tend to mimic what we've seen before. You know, the example I've given down here before is the kid that plays baseball and his younger brother just watches him for several years, you know, because he's too young to play. And then when he gets a chance to play, he's better baseball, he's better baseball player than his older brother was. Why? Because he vicariously played baseball just watching. You know, so what ends up happening is that we do that with our parents. We say, well, how do you deal with this situation, mom or dad? You don't even have to ask them. You saw them deal with it when you were growing up. You watched your parents do the things that they did with each other, how they resolved conflict with each other, how they handled money, how they handled work stress, how they handled mealtime, how they handled raising you as a kid, let's say. Well, don't you think that... Our kids watch us no matter what age we are. I mean, I think about what did my dad do when he was when he was thinking about, you know, when he was at this stage in his career, what was he doing? You know, that's a question I ask myself all the time. What is what was he doing? What was my I was talking to somebody about my uncle a little bit earlier. You know, what he did, how he handled his business and, and you know, how he worked in it and what he did and the decisions that he made. There's always somebody watching us, right? Now, if you're that investor that engages in these activities of stock picking and market timing, and that's where you've been forever, and you start to recognize that it's not really a great way of managing money, maybe you can be that person that makes that change in your family and changes things forever into the future on how your kids handle money. People watch us. It's really important that we don't mess this up. And when we look at the desire to move a portfolio around based on fears, recognize that your instincts and your emotions are not your friend when it comes to investing. They never have been. They're not well connected to the cognitive part of our mind, the, the part of our mind that should be thinking and making decisions based on fact and rational processes. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. 
Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler. You know, that uh, just about how we are as humans reminds me of something I was uh, I was listening to this week. Uh, you know, somebody sent me something on a podcast it was on. It's on how anxiety is shortening our lives. That was the something like that. I, I think that was the title, something that nature and, and I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to check this out. And I'm like, no, okay. Okay. I'll check it out. <laughs> I'm a sucker for this kind of th stuff. So I decided to listen to it. Really interesting. This guy was a doctor. He had two PhDs and uh, a couple piled higher and deepers. And as <laughs> we jokingly like to call that. Uh, so he actually was talking about something that was investing related at one point. And he's married, kids. And he was talking about his, his uh, back in 2012, I think it was. And he said he was having this, he's going, he's talking about how he was so busy moving one thing to another, to another, to another, you know, distraction. And, and, you know, how we get distracted and how we kind of numb ourselves and, and how we get involved in so many different things and volunteer for so many different activities and, and how overwhelming it can be. And, and, you know, there are books out there, you know, how the body keeps the score, which he, he lo you know, loves that title. And I do too. It's, it's, you know, how our body just tells us, Hey, you know, there's something wrong here. There's this, this smoke alarm going off and it's not necessarily the problem. You know the smoke alarm going off it's the fire that's the problem right it's you know you know fire's kicking out smoke and this and the alarm picks it up and he likened anxiety to that it's there's a problem and your body is telling you that there's a problem through how it is handling this and there's something going on in your life that you need to fix and, and i thought it was just a good analogy so you know with so many people now being and, and dealing with anxiety, you know, it's really, it's rampant everywhere. So he said he was going through this bout in 2012 and he says, he's just overwhelmed, just so many things going on. And he just had it in his head. He, he just knew that the real estate market was going to crash. Now you can take that to any market, stock market or whatever you're thinking of, but it was just, this is going to happen. And he was a younger guy, you know, so it wasn't probably didn't have a lot of his net worth in stocks or anything like that. So real estate was his thing because he had his home. And he says, it's just gonna crash. So he had actually talked his wife into just selling the house. 
That's what he did. And they did it. And he says, you know, I was the dean at the university that I was at. And part of my job was the residence, the student residence halls. And he said, I just figured what we do is we just move into the residence hall. That's, you know, I'm in charge of this. Let's do it. And talked to his wife. I'm thinking, how on earth do you talk your wife into that one? Uh, but anyway, he does. He talks her into it. And then he's on his way someplace and he just goes, oh my goodness. And he says, yeah, he says, I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell anybody. But he says, I had to tell a friend of mine. I said, I need help. He recognized that he had a problem. That stress had just made him just snap and do something that was probably not the most rational thing in his entire life. So what happens, he gets involved in this group and he says, it's a bunch of monks on campus, I guess it was. Uh, so he joins this group and he says, all these students are coming in and they, they're coming from all walks of life. The students, you know, some of them have mohawks and he says, you know, colored hair, some of them are athletes, you know, they're all over the place where these people that had joined this group. And he goes, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the meeting starts and they hit the bell and they hit the bell and everybody starts, you know, chanting. And he goes, oh my goodness. He says, I, he says, I was wondering if I was going to become the sacrifice, you know, he was, he was totally panic-stricken over this. He didn't know what to think. And he says, so he goes on, just stays with it, and he goes back a couple days later, and he, and he goes and continues to go to these meetings. And it's because I need something different in my life, and I had to figure out what was going on. So he's going back to these meetings, and he befriends this one person. I may be messing up this, uh, some parts of the story, but these are the general, this is the gist of it is he gets this one guy that says, hey, you work out, don't you? And he goes, yeah, I work out. And he goes, okay, meet me at five o'clock. You know, it, he's talking about five o'clock in the morning when you work out and let's just work out together, okay? And he says, all of a sudden, I've got this guy that's kind of a mentor to me and, and helping me out and, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit lost, he says, quite frankly. And this guy's asking me, how's your wife? How are your kids? And, and on a weekly basis, we're going to these workouts together and somebody's actually interested in what's going on with my family, he says. So and he says, I miss a few days and the guy's calling up. Hey, we had an agreement. You were going to meet me at five o'clock. Where are you? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. I'll, I'll do that. And he says, one of the things he started to pick up on and what he started recognizing is that he had, didn't have rituals in his life. And he had to have ritual. And, you know, if you look at it, we're in a generation right now that has kind of lost sight of the ritual. And we don't do things together on, you know, a routine basis quite often. You know, people, it's like when I grew up, it was you get in the house at five o'clock, you're sitting at the table, we're going to have dinner. And then we're going to do this. And on Friday nights, we're going to go out to... You know, we're going to go out to, to dinner, you know, for a long time. For my mom, it was pizza. So she liked to do on Friday nights. And then when we had this place, it was a, in, uh, in it's old homestead was what the thing was called. And there was one, and there was another one called the Charlton house. And it was like, she would happen. She was like clockwork. She would go to these places. We were going to all go and we were going to fellowship. We were going to hang together and we were going to talk and we were going to be a family together. 
And then, you know, like on Thanksgiving, you had some place that you would go, you know, we would have uh, family members come over and certain groups of people would come over. And then Christmas time, you would go to, you know, my aunt's house. Then we'd go to my other aunt's house. And it was just very, very much a regiment that we had. And then we would go to church on Sundays. And that was, you know, we and you just knew this is what you were going to do. And it was interesting because now after growing up, my cross the street neighbors didn't have the same rituals we did. And they really envied us because we had these things that we did and we knew what to expect. And I just thought that was fascinating that, you know, one of the girls that grew up across from me says that now, you know, wow, you guys were, it was amazing to watch you as a family. And I thought, Really? Because <laughs> I thought we were messed up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he was talking about, you know, having this ritual of going and working out with this guy was a big deal. And then he says, you know, the other thing is, is that, you know, you know, and he talked all about how our instincts and our emotions aren't rational and, and how they can be so driven by, let's say, lack of sleep. And he says, you know, that pizza that you had the night before, that is pretty, you know, that, that is every bit as much responsible for the things you're saying and things you're doing as anything else. And he says, well, what do we put in our body? And, and, you know, our body is just kind of keeping the score on all of the stuff that we're doing. And so often we don't actually have any downtime. We're running, we're running, we're running. And, and this is something that I've, I've said many times before, but it is like we're looking for information. We're trying, we're so nervous as a society. What's the market going to do next? What is this going to do next? Where are things going? What's real estate going to do? Is it going to crash? Oh, I saw this meme out there. Oh, I saw this email and they said that this is what's going to happen. And then we have a digitized currency that's going to be coming. And here's what it's going to do to the world. And, and oh my goodness, you hear what the president's latest thing is. And oh, the Congress is thinking about doing this with tax laws. And oh, you know, and it never ends. The things that we can be anxious about never end. And this isn't new. This isn't something new. And I've done workshops where I go back all the way through history and I talk about this. I talk about how scared people were that Social Security was going to become a thing in the 1930s. I talk about how Medicare was going to become a thing and how it was going to destroy the healthcare system. I, you know, I talk about how we were going to go through global cooling and we were actually going to have an ice age in the 1970s. In these workshops, I talk about all these terrible things that were going to happen and the Cuban Missile Crisis and having missiles right off of our, off our Florida, you know, out just right off of mainland America and how it was going to cause the destruction of, of the world. And, and, you know, it's not that we don't have concern about any of these things, but so often we have these predictions about the future and they're just making stuff up. We make up things about the future and we lie to ourselves because we don't know the future. And yet we try to do it because we're scared of the future. We have a fear of the future. And the reality of us, nobody knows. We don't know. And as an investor, it is so easy to get caught up in that. Because we do worry about not having enough. We do worry about running out. And that is why it is so important that we put a check on the part of our brain that actually kicks out so many of these fears and irrational fears really when we get down to it and then build the cognitive part of our minds, number one. But number two, also tune out this stuff. 
You can hit delete buttons. You can hit unsubscribe. If somebody's trying to scare you, they're probably not doing it because they love you and want to take care of you. They're probably doing it because there's some kind of a profit motive involved. And that's bottom line. And profits are king in America. And there's freedom of speech. People can say whatever they want and they don't necessarily have to have any responsibility toward you whatsoever. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.